Okay, we'll go ahead and get started again. I appreciate all of you who are hanging through. Hopefully you can see the screen pretty well. I think the projector is working fairly well. So our second talk for today is very different, and I'm calling it Getting Practical. Last time was get, Getting Philosophical, and now you kind of see what I mean, right? Um, so this time it's Getting Practical, Making the Health Message Work. And so what I really had in mind here was talking to a young person and covering the bases broadly about things that would really help you be healthy and avoid health problems. This is what I want to cover. First of all, guiding principles. I want to give a few of those. Then we'll talk a little bit about diet. And then we'll hit exercise. And then we'll hit the four S's. You'll see what that is. And then depression. And then addictions. Social support and faith. Obviously, we can't do a whole thorough seminar on each one of those topics in the next 45 minutes. So this is going to be just the high points, kind of take-home points. I'm not going to be showing you studies or even a lot of quotes or anything like that. I'm just going to give you the take-home points and conclusions as I understand them. Now, this is just my opinion, okay? And so it's not like everything here is irrefutable or that you may not disagree here or there, but I hope it's valuable to some of you and to some of the people listening on Audioverse. First of all, let's talk about guiding principles. There are a few guiding principles that I think are important for anybody, especially a young person, to keep in mind when you're thinking about applying the health message. First of all, keep the big picture in mind. Make sure that you focus, your focus on health and the health message does not become too narrow or self-centered. Um, for example, you don't want to be so concerned about health that you won't go as a missionary because you can't get the healthiest food there. Um, or a more common example, you don't want um, um, impressing the ladies to be your focus for doing your exercise program. That's self-centered, you know, narrow. You want to keep the big picture. The big picture is the great controversy, the world and its needs, you and God and your relationship, your spiritual life and eternity. That's the big picture. So when you're trying to apply health, do it in that context. Second thing, avoid extremes. Extremes are hard to define sort of by definition, but you still need to try to avoid them. Many people who become focused on health go overboard. And um, most people don't pay enough attention to their health, right? That's the common extreme. But some people get so focused on health that they can literally turn themselves into invalids. When you read in the spirit of prophecy and it talks about people becoming invalids and it's all in their mind, that can happen when people get too focused on health in an unbalanced way. They can become hypochondriacs. And you see their diet, what they eat is shrinking, 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 and finally it's just kale. All they're eating is kale. 
because every, everything else has a problem with it. And Sister White had to counsel a lot of people to not turn health reform into health deform, okay? So you gotta avoid extremes. Third principle, guiding principle is consistency. Consistency pays big dividends, right? Now, hey, I'm not the paragon of virtue when it comes to a lot of these things. I just wanna admit that from the start. I'm not always consistent, but if I were, I would get more benefit, and so would you. Fourth principle is progressive reform. Don't try to do everything at once. You should build. As you go learning, as God is leading you, then move along and make more strides. Number five, an individualized approach. Ellen White says that we cannot prescribe one particular diet that everybody should eat. It's somewhat individualized. So no, there's no one size fits all when it comes to health. So you gotta do a little experimentation and you gotta find out what works for you. For example, if you're dealing with um, being overweight, one program may work well for your neighbor and then it doesn't work well for you. And you have to try until you find something that'll work for you. And number six, be positive. Don't just focus on the negatives, the things you can't do, the things you can't eat, etc. That's important. We have to figure those things out. But also try to celebrate the positives and enjoy health. Health is there to be enjoyed and it should be fun too. So try to make it fun. And number seven is get help. There are a lot of things when it comes to health that you need help for. And we're gonna talk about some of those. So when you're in that position, get it, get help. Don't try to always fight everything on your own. Those are the guiding principles that I think would be good for us to keep in mind as we try to apply the health message and lead healthier lives. So let's talk a little bit about diet, just the high points here. What does the Bible say about diet anyway? Well, it tells us about the Eden diet, what the original diet was that God created for man. And so that just puts everything in perspective. That's very helpful. And then it talks about clean and unclean meats. And along with that are a number of uh, prescriptions and that sort of thing in the Old Testament economy. Uh, in the New Testament, you have the Jerusalem Council. That's kind of limited, you know, don't eat blood and things strangled. Um, but we would do well to keep clean and unclean meats and the Jerusalem Council in mind if we want to follow God's teaching. And then there are some special diets in the Bible, like the Nazarite diet. It's kind of interesting to read on if you haven't read that. And then Daniel's diet, that's a really interesting, but it's a special case. Oh, I guess I didn't have that up there yet. Special diets, Nazarites and Daniel and others. And then it talks about self-control and eating. What's the opposite of self-control and eating? What's a good biblical word for that? Gluttony. Okay, yeah, gluttony, that goes well with like sloth, you know, sloth and gluttony and wine bibbing, okay. All right, here's a verse for that. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, 
and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Do you like that? Yeah. I like that verse. I, I'm afraid I, I think I took it a little out of context. So go back and read the whole context, and I think it has more to do with the politics of the situation, actually, and the whole ruler. And he's gonna like, you know, give you all these nice treats and stuff, but then he's, there's gonna be a price to pay later. But still, I like this. I think we can apply it even a little out of context because there's a lot of times when it'd be good to say, put a knife to thy throat, okay? <laughs> Don't go through with it, stop. Here's another one. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Actually, as you go through the Bible, a lot of times it's, um, it's warning about not getting enough to eat, because that was a problem at that time, but not so much for us. This is a really good one. Ecclesiastes 10, 16 to 17. I really like this. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Great principle, at the proper time for the right reason and not for the wrong reason. So in a sense, the Bible has perhaps just as much about how much we eat um, and the reasons why we eat as it does what we eat. I'd like to suggest keeping it simple for the diet. This is a quote from uh, a journalist who's written about food, and I think he did a good job with this formulation. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. If most of the world would do that, we could get rid of a lot of diseases. When he says eat food, he means real food as opposed to like fake food, like artificially contrived food-like substances. He's talking about real food. So here are some diet principles that I think will help us. These are really simple. I mean, we could have a whole talk on nutrition and vitamin B12 and, and you know, calcium and iron and saturated fats, but we're not doing that today. Just the high points. Focus on whole plant foods with lots of fruits and vegetables. That's simple, right? Whole plant foods is something that you'd find out of the garden. The more that we ate of stuff that looks similar to what it was when it was growing, the better we'll probably be. Aim to keep or reach a normal body weight, okay? That's a huge deal. Um, you know, this is gonna pay bigger dividends than trying to debate I think whether just eating the whole olives or eating the olive oil is which one's better, you know. Um, those are subtle things. They may be important. A lot of things like that may be important, but they're not as important as this, which is obesity is killing a lot of us. So your eating should be focused on trying to keep a trim weight. Watch out for all the sugar, salt, and fat. It is all around you. Just close your eyes and it's circling you. It's gonna get you. You know, there's no billboards or fast food up, up here, but as soon as you drive down the hill, it'll be there again. So you're surrounded by this stuff. Watch out for it. 
Beware of restaurants, prepared food, fast foods, rich foods, sweets, etc. All of these cause us a lot of problems. And the, the less we can do of these, the better off we're going to be. Not that we can't have sweets sometimes or go to restaurants sometimes, but if we're doing this stuff all the time, we're not going to be healthy. I mentioned Michael Pollan, and he has a few cute quotes in this book of his called Food Rules, and I just wanted to share a few because they're kind of fun. Treat treats as treats. <laughs> so treats are supposed to be very occasional. If it came from a plant, eat it. If it was made in a plant, don't. <laughs> Factory food is not good. Don't feed you and your car at the same place. If it comes through the window of your car, it's not food. Okay. And last thing to say about diet is remember the guiding principles, okay? Individualized, progressive reform, avoid extremes, all of those guiding principles. So those are some high-yield tips on food. If we just ate more whole food, similar to how God created it in its natural state, if we ate less prepared food and fast food and restaurant food and high-salt and high-fat foods, we'd be a lot healthier. So if you take that and run with it, it'll, you'll get a lot of mileage out of it. Next thing, exercise. Exercise is a huge deal. It's one of the most important things in health. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we're probably not that great with it. Um, I mean, we're a lot better as a people, as a whole, on diet than the general population. No question, I think, about that. A lot of room for improvement there, for sure. But exercise, there's a lot of room for improvement there as well. This is one good time to listen to the commercialism around us, okay? Nike got it right there, just do it. Um, that's a good rule for exercise. What does exercise help us with? A lot. Blood pressure, HDL cholesterol, that's the good cholesterol, it boosts it. Triglycerides, that's the fats in our blood that can help cause heart attacks and it lowers it. Diabetes helps to prevent it. Obesity helps to combat it and helps to prevent weight gain. There's a, a registry of uh, thousands of people across the country who have lost more than 50 pounds and kept it off for more than a year. National Weight Loss Registry. And on average, the ones who have kept it off like that are tending to exercise about an hour a day of uh, intentional exercise. They also weigh themselves fairly regularly, and they always eat breakfast, and they tend to eat lower calorie, lower fat foods. So those are some tips. It helps prevent osteoporosis, keeps bones strong. It helps with depression, very effective. Helps with arthritis. Even if you have bad knee joints and there's just bone on bone and there's no cartilage, if you exercise, it'll reduce your pain by like 30, 40% on average. And it'll improve your ability to function about that much too. Exercise can reduce the risk of certain types of cancer. 
This may be largely through helping to control obesity, which is a significant risk factor for several types of cancer. But there may be other ways that it helps too. And uh, it helps with healthy aging. Um, you wanna be fit when you're older. So you think of being active early in life and then becoming inactive, that's bad because that's when aging is really bad. Um, you can take elderly people in the nursing home and give them little exercises to do with weights and that sort of thing, and they benefit tremendously. They get stronger, they're more mobile, they have less falls. So you wanna be fit while you're getting old, because you are gonna get old. Um, it helps with pain, um, and it can help you to prevent injuries, certain types of exercise. Here are some tips for exercise. Um, again, just do it, be consistent. That was one of our guiding principles, not the weekend warrior. Cardiovascular fitness is probably the thing to prioritize, like running, biking, swimming, and things like that. Strength training can be helpful for everyone, women as well as men, old as well as young. We can all benefit from appropriate strength training. Try to aim to be lean and strong, I would say, not bulky and heavy, okay? So in doing your straight strength training, the goal is not to be huge, okay? It's try, trying to be lean and mean. Um, and I would say if you're gonna work out with weights, get some kind of training, because it's really easy to kind of mess yourself up. Like, I'll give you an example. With me, I have some back problems, kind of chronic back problems. And you know, when I go do weights, you, you always wanna go and, and do like the bench press, you know, and, and curls and you know, military press and all that kind of stuff. And um, who wants to do all that little stuff like this, you know, and this? And it's it's kind of wimpy. So then you get imbalanced. And, and so you have antagonistic muscle groups like your chest muscles and your back muscles, for example. And if you focus on the big ones too much, it can mess up the little ones. For example, you work out uh, you know, some of your, your deltoid and, and trapezius and pectorals and stuff when people are working out at the gym. Those all pull on your shoulder joint, but they don't stabilize your shoulder joint. And nobody wants to do the wimpy little exercises like this and this, you know, to work out the rotator cuff and this. Okay, because that's not huge, all right? <laughs> but you'll mess up your shoulders like that. So weights are tricky. You can really uh, do some damage there. So I recommend becoming well-educated and get training if you're going to do that. But you can do strength training just with some simple calisthenics and some you know, Pilates. And there's all sorts of ways that you can get strong. And it's good to focus on core muscles and balance. You know, when people are um, doing things with exercise balls and stuff like that, working on back muscles, abdominal muscles, those are really good, good for your health. And um, the exercise industry is realizing that more and more. Working on flexibility is important because it's easy to get injured when you're not flexible enough. Like I'm running with a running group in Loma Linda right now called the Loma Linda Lopers, and I'm not very flexible at all. And this morning I ran six miles with them, and I think I hurt my 
Achilles tendon. So don't be like me, be flexible. Um, try to be safe and while you're exercising, stick with it. Persistence means a lot when it comes to exercise. You wanna build these lifelong habits. I really admire when I see the medical students who are in there getting their exercise on a regular basis instead of saying, well, I'm just gonna to have to let this go for a few years. You guys are smart and it's gonna mean a lot. Walking and hiking is great exercise, so try to do that. If you can have active work, that's great. You know, not many of us put up bales of hay anymore or chop cords of wood by hand like they used to, and they got a lot of physical exercise that way. It's not the reality of many of our lives, but if you can incorporate some active work, do it, um, but you probably need to get intentional exercise on top of it. Active recreation, if you learn to enjoy stuff that's active, you'll be better off and try to get outdoors. It's just not the same if you're always in the gym, I think, especially mentally, and you don't get the sunshine and the fresh air, you don't hear the birds, and so I think it's great if you can get outdoors. Okay, moving on. Now we have the four S's, study, stress, sleep, and sunshine. Now they sound all different, but they actually tie in together. And the four S's are definitely big things for students and young people. Let's talk about sleep. Sleep has a lot of benefits. It combats stress and depression. It improves performance, physical performance and mental performance. You don't wanna take a test for medical school or for college when you're low on sleep, you won't do as well. You also don't wanna run a, a big race when you're low on sleep. You feel better when you have adequate sleep and you don't need artificial stimulants like caffeine. Besides, you get used to the artificial stimulants and then your body just recalibrates and then that's just the new normal for, for you and then if you don't have it, you feel really bad. Sleep is not that way. Uh, sleep actually keeps you thin um, and prevents diabetes. So sleep your way to a normal body weight. <laughs> so, you know, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you know, just sleep all day. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding there. <laughs> I'm kidding, but it, it is amazing. Uh, there are a lot of studies coming out that are showing that you actually can't lose weight well unless you get adequate sleep. Sleep is vital to lose weight and to keep the weight off. A lot of people, when you get underslept and overstressed, like happens in school to a lot of students, two-thirds of people under that sort of state of overstress and undersleep have uh, a cortisol reaction that is hyperphagic, meaning they eat too much. Okay? The other third have the opposite, and they don't eat. And so you see that, you know, like the freshman 15, they say, 15 pounds that you gain in your freshman year, or um, in medical school, you see that a lot. People are either ballooning up or they're wasting away. So, <laughs> at least where I went to school. Um, but it's powerful. Okay, so some good advice about sleep. Well, this is an old adage that just has a lot of wisdom. Early to bed, early to rise. That's a good habit. 
Consistency, remember that's one of the guiding principles. If you can be regular about your sleep, you're gonna be way better off. If you're always going to bed at different times and waking up at different times, which is easy to do in modern life, you just don't get as good a quality of sleep. You're much better off if your body gets into a rhythm. Naps, good or bad? Well, this is that individualized part. Some people do really well with naps and they can take a 15 minute nap during the day, be recharged for the afternoon and get a good night's sleep at night. And other people like me, if I take a nap, I'll be up till like 3 a.m., you know, wide awake. And so naps for me are a bad idea. So you have to figure that out for yourself. Generally, I think seven to eight hours is what most of us need. Some people seem to get by with less sleep than that. And, you know, if that's you, um, good. Although I wonder if you wouldn't be a little better off if you got a little more sleep. But uh, when you look at mortality studies and that sort of thing, people who are getting seven to eight hours, that usually correlates with the best longevity. So for most people, that's what you're wanting to shoot for. The more exercise you get, if you're fit and if you're getting adequate exercise, you'll tend to sleep better and your sleep will be more valuable. And you read a lot of statements if you read Ellen White's counsels on this type of thing and she's talking about brain workers or students and if you just have all this brain work going on and the only thing your body's doing is sitting you get in this state where you're exhausted mentally but your body is not tired and you don't sleep well and you know when you've had Let's say you're, you're working here for Pine Springs Ranch and you're cutting down some trees and chopping wood. At the end of a long, hard day, everybody turns to themselves and what do they say? Boy, we're going to sleep good tonight, right? It's a common saying. And so you really want to get that physical exertion to sleep well. There are some principles of sleep hygiene, which if you have trouble sleeping, you can learn about not having bright lights at the wrong time or if you're having trouble sleeping, um, not just tossing and turning, but getting up and reading a boring book like one of your textbooks, okay, and then coming back to bed. So you can educate yourself on those things. Sunlight is very helpful, so these S's are coming together. Um, sunlight is actually the major thing that gets your body in sync and knowing what time of day it is. It's the circadian rhythms, the 24-hour rhythms. Without sunlight, they get all out of whack, and your blood pressure rhythm is messed up with your hormonal rhythms, and that's messed up with your brain rhythms, and all the rhythms are going on their own, own thing. You know, it's kind of like the last verse in Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Every rhythm is doing its own thing. Sunlight gets them all coordinated and gets them reset to the daily cycle. And so it's good to get bright light, bright sunlight through your eyes in the early part of the day, especially, and in the middle of the day. Um, watch out for the TV and the computer uh, before bed. That can um, tend to get you overstimulated and make it hard to sleep. Okay, sunshine. I mentioned sunshine already. Sunshine is important because it supplies vitamin D and vitamin D helps build strong bones. 
And that not only pays dividends as you get older in avoiding osteoporosis, but it actually pays dividends when you're young. Let's say you're an athlete. Um, you're going to have less risk of a stress fracture if you're getting adequate vitamin D than if you're not. Okay, so it pays dividends now. And it probably reduces your risk of colon cancer as well as a number of possibly some other cancers and a number of other chronic diseases like hypertension and heart disease. It may reduce your risk of multiple sclerosis, that paralyzing disease and possibly some other autoimmune diseases. The evidence is still not so clear, but it may. And it helps with the sleep cycles in the 24-hour clock, like we said. It helps you avoid SAD, seasonal affective disorder. It's a type of depression that you tend to get in the winter in northern places like Seattle and Minnesota and Alaska. Um, what you really want for preventing the seasonal affective disorder, helping with depression, helping to regulate your body clock, you want bright light through your eyes. It's the visible spectrum of the light, and you want it to be bright, meaning 10,000 lux. So if you just have a lamp on in your room at night, you know, that's probably a few hundred lux, or a well-lit room, maybe a few thousand lux. But indoor light tends not to get up to 10,000 lux unless you have like a special light box. But um, on a bright sunny day like this, if you're out there, you know, kind of squinting, it could be 20, 30,000 lux. And even a cloudy day um, outdoors tends to be bright like this. And then you do want some sunlight on the skin each day. Uh, but you want to avoid sunburn and protect overexposed areas of the skin like your ears and your nose and things like that that get chronic damage. But the sunlight on your skin every day, that helps to produce the vitamin D. And uh, sunblock will block that effect. So sunblock is good to help prevent sunburn, but you don't want to put it on every day before you go out. You want to get some sun exposure and then you know, put it on after 15 minutes or something. And you may want to think about vitamin D supplementation, especially if you live in the northern parts and in the winter time. Or you may want to get your blood level tested for vitamin D, because a lot of people are deficient in that. We don't have more time to say too much more about that. What about studies? For a student, that's a big part of, of your health. I think studies can have a huge impact on your health. And in fact, I think that college type of Studying um, often has more detrimental impact on your health than most jobs do, I would say. Um, so to avoid that, you want to be consistent with your studies. And I'm terrible at that. I'm a procrastinator. Um, but we can all get better. And um, tr the more consistent you are, the less you'll have things build up and feel like you have a crisis. Try to study when you're alert because that's going to maximize the impact. If you're drowsy, um, you're not getting too much out of it, so you're extending the time, but you're not extending the yield very much. If you're alert, if you've exercised, if you've gotten your sleep, your mind's going to be sharp. You're going to be able to commit things to memory and get concepts that are difficult. So try to make your study time count. Be focused, be awake and alert, and avoid distractions like Facebook an email. 
and text messages. Um, some people find going to the library is helpful with that kind of thing. Not me, I can't study at the library. Um, set a time to quit e studying each night. This is a good policy. Um, I know a lot of people who have done this successfully. I can think of several physicians who have during medical school. They stopped at nine o'clock every night. I didn't do this, but I should have. Um, wake up early if you have extra studying to do rather than staying up late because that'll help keep your sleep cycle better in tune because you're still going to bed at the same time. Uh, if you need, uh, you need your sleep and, and you need your exercise um, while you're studying and uh, you don't want to eat too much too. So keep an eye on that. Above all, as a student, don't let your study time ruin your health. It's easy to do that. Staying up late, getting stressed out, cutting the corners, not exercising, all these things, and then it catches up with you. And try to focus on learning. Sometimes that gets minimized. You know, you're just trying to pass the test. Okay, what about stress? Stress can be a big problem for young people, for all of us as well. Exercise can be a great stress reliever. It's one of the best stress relievers. Having adequate sleep, we've already said these, can help, help you to cope with stress. When you're deficient on sleep, you tend to have problems with stress. Getting outdoors can actually be a great stress reliever. If you just go walk on one of these trails for a little while and you're by yourself, it's a very good stress reliever because you hear the birds chirping and you got gentle breezes and you just have all sorts of stimulations that are they're not harsh, they're not artificial, they're not sort of, um, they're not sort of man-made. Like man-made stuff is all at right angles, you know, and it's bright and it beeps and, and <laughs> you know, it just sort of comes at you. And nature, as God made it, made it is, is soothing. It's like, you know, moving meditation or something. And it really affects your mind. Uh, sunshine. This can actually definitely uh, relieve stress. Just go sit in the sun for a few minutes and you feel more relaxed. Trust in God. If you have trust in God, you have more peace. And you have less reason to worry. And there's a lot in the Bible, a lot of verses, if you think about it, that talk about not worrying and cast your cares on me and, you know, give me your burdens and you take my yoke, which is easy. And don't worry about tomorrow. You know, there's enough trouble for today. And put your trust in me, because I know all the hairs on your head, and those sorts of things. So look up those Bible promises and, and keep them in mind. Recreation, that can be a great way to get rid of stress. Lots of things, getting outdoors, exercising, having fun with friends, taking a vacation, going and see something interesting. They say a change is as good as a rest, you know? So sometimes you go on vacation, you go to the Grand Canyon, you come back and you're tired, but you're refreshed, right? You 
tired from all the packing and stuff, but you still feel like you had this total change of pace. The Sabbath is like a built-in vacation every week. You know, it's a change of pace. You kind of, you can breathe again and you can um, not worry about those things. So take advantage of it. And it's a time to be outdoors and a time to get sunshine and time to renew your trust in God and all of these things all in one package. Work and cleaning, etc. I think that cleaning the house is a great stress reliever. Try it. If, if you've not done it, I, I think it's great because um, by the time you're done cleaning a room or something, you know, it's, it's much more peaceful. Like instead of having all these papers everywhere and having all these clothes thrown everywhere, it's all, it's all serene and peaceful, especially before the Sabbath. Um, talk with friends and family. That can be a, a great stress reliever. And cast your cares on God. He wants to hear about your problems, and it really makes a difference if you can share your worries instead of just stewing over them. And then avoid escapes. This is where you can really get into trouble because you get all stressed out and you, you need to have some kind of relief. And so, you know, I just need that sleeping pill or, you know, I just, you know, maybe if I took a drink, that would settle my nerves. There's a lot of type of escapes, you know. Maybe if I, if I just go to that crazy party that, that, you know, I know it's not the best, but it'd be like an escape for me. This is the kind of thing that gets us in a lot of trouble. The problem with all these escapes is that you come back and you feel less prepared to take on all the problems, plus you now have another problem, and that's weighing on your mind too. And lastly, get help if you need it. That was one of our guiding principles. If you feel like you're not able to cope with the stress and school is just getting to you and overwhelming, get help. Okay, and, and make whatever changes need to happen to deal with that. Um, you know, maybe you need to withdraw from a class for that quarter or take some time out, whatever it is. I had a friend in college who was a really good student and um, he was taking a really heavy load. He was an Asian American student and uh, he was going for a medical career and he was really focused on success and he was a high, high achiever and very bright um, until he attempted suicide, until things got too overwhelming for him and he ended up in sort of a persistent vegetative state. So don't let stress do that to you, which kind of segues us into depression because we all deal with stress and we all feel the effects of stress and sometimes we do get stressed out. Okay, so just because you get worried or stressed out, it doesn't mean that you, you're not spiritual, okay? Um, I mean, Jesus got stressed out too, okay? I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane was like total stress. Now, he had good reason, right? And he wasn't escaping. He wasn't trying to get, get away from that. He was facing it, but it was still really stressful. But sometimes things kind of take another turn and we get into a cycle where we're just discouraged and despairing and just things are not looking up and it's just not working. And this is when we get into depression. 
So it's important for you all to be able to recognize the signs of depression and realize if you're suffering from them. And those signs are persistent sadness or feeling blue or feeling down or depressed or glum, and you feel like that way for a while, like more than two weeks, and it's just continuing. And, you know, the things that you found fun before and, you know, kind of things that you enjoy, you're not having that interest in them like you used to. And, you know, who cares? I, I just, I'm not, I'm not into it. That's a worrisome. And then in conjunction with those things, uh, maybe you lose your appetite or you're eating all the time and you can't sleep or you're waking up early or you just feel like staying in bed all the time and you don't have any energy and you just can't seem to get going and you feel kind of worthless and like a loser and like a failure and you start feeling guilty and you can't concentrate on things and maybe you start thinking about you know wouldn't it just be easier if if i just ended this or wouldn't it just be easier if i weren't around wouldn't everybody's lives be better if you start thinking these kind of thoughts and feeling these kind of feelings that's depression and that's a problem and you need to get help and address it. Why do we get depressed? Okay, honest short answer again. We don't really know, you know. There's a lot of things like that in medicine. There, there are a lot of reasons why we get depressed, why people get depressed and have similar problems like anxiety. And um, we can all, that can happen to all of us. Some people may have a genetic predisposition and those stressors we talked about. Sometimes you've got, you know, a death in the family, you've got a divorce going on, you've got a school situation that's bothering you, your family members don't understand, you have conflict with your parents, um, you have a roommate uh, who gets on your nerves, you have a breakup with a girlfriend or boyfriend, and your environment. Sometimes you didn't grow up in the best home, um, or you're just in a really stressful environment. And our thought patterns, we start getting into negative thoughts and um, feeling sorry for ourselves and those sorts of things, and they kind of build on each other. It's an easy thing to do, it's a natural thing to do, but it's harmful to us at the same time. There can be spiritual issues there too, where you just don't feel like you can connect with God and um, you just, you think you're beyond hope. Um, you know, that, hey, you know, God is great and everything, I don't have any problem with him, but you know, he just can't help somebody like me. And um, that can make you depressed and, and cause you to lose hope. And then it all happens in your brain. Remember, holism, we're a whole being. And it's our bodies, too. So we can have diseases, we can be on medications. All sorts of things can disrupt what's going on in our brain, even the things that we're eating or the way we're living our life. Drugs that we're taking, all of these things can cause depression. But however you get there, you still have to deal with it, okay? Um, and it does very little good just to say, I'm just a spiritual failure, and if I were just a better Christian, I wouldn't be depressed. That kind of thought pattern is usually not going to get you out of depression, okay? It's just going to be part of the cycle. So what should you do? You should tell somebody and get help, and uh, don't be a lone ranger on this one. 
okay? This is something where you really need to get help. I would get a hold of Dr. Nedley's materials. He has put together a really good package that depresses, uh, addresses depression comprehensively from a lot of different angles. And it has books by people other than him, and it has videos, and there's a lot of good stuff there. I would recommend it. You know, I had a good friend come to me um, a year or two ago, um, and I was surprised when they came to me and, and said, Mike, I, I think I'm depressed. And probably most people wouldn't have guessed it and would have looked up to and admired the person and all of this sort of thing, thought they had it really together. Um, but uh, this friend of mine, you know, got a hold of some of these materials and went and got that help and sought help from a couple of different professionals, um, physicians, counselors, and uh, my friend is one of the happiest people I know today. Um, because uh, they were able to deal with that. And so that's what you want to do. You want to get the help you need. You want to address the various things, whether it's physical factors, whether it's um, thought patterns, whether there are some spiritual factors to address there. Um, you got to address them, and it's usually several different things. Again, exercise is really very effective for this. For, for a single thing to do, I mean, this is really effective. The problem is a lot of times when people are really depressed, they don't want to exercise. But if they do, um, it's just as effective in the same level of effectiveness as medications and as counseling. But oftentimes, medication for depression and or counseling may be necessary. And uh, this is just a reality, I would say. Um, there may be some, some natural medications as well, um, but one or both of these things is often necessary, and don't be ashamed of that. Um, there are very few people who, if they got pneumonia, would feel bad about taking a medication for it, would feel like they were a failure because their lungs were messed up. Um, but we, we kind of feel that way when it's our brains that are messed up. But if you need it, take it. Um, get the help that you need. That's what I'm trying to say. And get the help that you need early and then work on depression-proofing yourself for the next time, okay? So let's say one of the underlying things that got you to be depressed in the first place is a spiritual issue. And if you address that spiritual issue, it can help you a lot, but you're probably not gonna be able to address that spiritual issue adequately until you get out of some of the depression. Uh, also, just a plug, look out for your friends and try to prevent suicide. Um, when I worked at Weimar, we had a student commit suicide. And after the fact, you could just see all sorts of warning signs. And a few people knew a lot more but, you know, a lot of times we just don't think about it. We think people are going to be okay. And that's not always true. So look out for each other. Okay, I want to talk briefly about addictions. We'll be wrapping up here in about five minutes. Addictions has a lot that's related to depression that we just talked about, but it's different too. 
There are a lot of addictions, as you know, alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, illegal drugs, prescription drugs, gambling, sexual addictions of lots of different types, eating disorders, that's a little different, but it's related, I would say, food addictions, video game addictions, that's really big in Korea, South Korea, by the way, but it's here too. Um, internet addictions, so you can get addicted to a lot of things. Also, love or relationship addictions, I would say, or uh, codependencies is kind of another term for that, where you sort of get um, addicted to always being with the wrong person. Now, the first thing is to try to prevent having problems like this as a young person or an older person by avoiding the addictive substances or activities to begin with. You know, prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's why I'm in preventive medicine. So, you know, if you never drink alcohol, you can never become an alcoholic, even if you were uh, ready to be an alcoholic. And so, unfortunately, a lot of times we get into some of these things, be they substances or activities or practices or habits, and then it's kind of too late. But if it's not too late, don't play with the stuff, okay? Like... Uh, the Bible says if you heap coals into your lap, you're going to get burned. So don't play with fire. Recognize the symptoms of addiction. These are some of the symptoms. You've tried to quit, but you can't. You need more to get the same effect. You quit, but then you always start up again. You pray to stop, but you still can't. The behavior starts causing you problems with school, work, relationships, or your health and certainly your spirituality. Uh, and then you have this cycle of doing the behavior and then feeling really guilty and then repenting and then uh, the behavior and on and on. So that's kind of the picture of addiction. And if, you, if that sounds familiar to you, then you need to, to admit that. What to do? Admit that you cannot fix it on your own. This is one of the core principles uh, that people have found to leading to success with addictions. Admit that you cannot fix it on your own because that's the very nature of it. Surrender the problem to God. He is able to fix it, and surrendering it to him is key. Then get help. Go to a trusted friend, a family member, pastor, or a teacher, or a counselor, or a professional counselor, or a physician, a doctor. Um, go get the help that you need. Don't try to tackle this one on your own, okay? Um, it usually doesn't work. And if, let's say you go to a pastor, and they kind of, you know, minimize it, or whatever, or blow it off, or just reassure you, then that probably wasn't the right person, so you need to go find somebody else to help you. Accountability seems to be very important in dealing with addictions, and many of the most successful programs in helping people recover from addictions have an accountability component. And I think there are some biblical principles to support accountability. Um, don't have time to go into them, 
but I do think that, that they're there. It's kind of like that iron sharpening iron concept. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And there are a reason uh, that sometimes we need to confess our faults to other people. One is because we've hurt them, okay, and we need, get, need to make amends to them. But sometimes we need to do that in order to get help, too. Um, and I would recommend, from a practical perspective, 12-step programs for many addictions. Um, they often are successful, um, and they are spiritual programs. I know that sometimes people have concerns about the spirituality, and I respect that if you have those concerns. But um, I think there's a lot of evidence that these programs are very helpful to people. And oftentimes, outside of these programs, whether they be church-based or AA or whatever, um, the problem doesn't get dealt with adequately. You need God's power to overcome addictions, but you often need to experience that power through a process that includes confession, accountability, and mentorship and discipleship. Um, I thought I'd put up the 12 steps of AA. These are taken from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, just so you could see what they're like. And I, I actually look at them and I say, this is sort of a process of repentance, not just feeling bad, you know, and, and saying I'm sorry. But uh, take a look, see what you think. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. To me, it seems like a very structured, guided process of heart repentance. And um, we're out of time, so I'll skip this quote because it's a longer little longer, but here's a quote from their book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Um, and they consider Alcoholics Anonymous and similar programs, they consider their recovery to be a spiritual solution. So the bottom line for addictions is get help. Don't try to do it on your own. You need a deeper conversion experience, you need a, a full repentance process, 
and you need the kind of accountability and discipleship, meaning somebody else who's walked the road, guiding you down the steps and holding you accountable. That's often what's needed to recover from addictions. Okay, um, I'll just uh, wrap these up quickly, uh, and I'll just make the point that social support is actually a great predictor of health. And so if you can build strong social ties, relationships, good friendships, work on making your family relationships more healthy. You know, married people, especially married men, live longer. So, you know, some of us are on a track to early demise, but um, it's illustrative of the fact that we're social creatures. God made us to be interactive, and social support actually improves our health. So it's worth investing in your social health. It makes a difference. Um, and then lastly, faith. You know, believers overall have a health advantage in many studies. Seventh-day Adventists clearly have a health advantage. Not only is there the faith factor, but there's the health message and the content there and the different lifestyle. But it only works if you're doers and not hearers only. So the, the people who have the most health benefit among Seventh-day Adventists are the ones who put the things into practice. So like the most adherent Seventh-day Adventists to some simple lifestyle principles tend to live about 10 years longer than the least adherent Seventh-day Adventists. I'm not comparing them to you know, the general population, but there's like a 10-year spread between the ones who do put the things into practice and those who don't. It's also good to increase your connectedness in the church and your involvement. For example, marry an Adventist who cares about the health message if you want to be healthy. That's just an, uh, an extreme example. The, the more you're connected and involved, the more likely you are to, to put these things into practice and to reap the benefits. So that's some practical advice. Faith in God goes beyond that, though, you know, beyond just the health practices and the knowledge that we have. It's the hope when things are depressing, the peace when things are stressful. It's the wellspring of having a good attitude. It's the source of that. It's the wisdom to make the right choices, and ultimately it's the power to change. We can have the greatest philosophy and the greatest um, you know, moral philosophy and theories about the world, but if we don't have God's power to change, we're in trouble. And just a closing quote from Steps to Christ, talking about that power to change. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above. You will have strength from above. You will be enabled to live the new life, even the life of faith. And so one of the most vital things that we can do to be healthy and to enjoy good health is to keep that connection with God. And it's, of course, for time and for eternity. So these are a few high-yield topics on health and ways of dealing with some common health problems that we all experience and that a lot of young people experience. So I wish you the best and um, God's blessing and guidance to each of us as we go through our lives and try to follow him and have good health. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, um, the statement that the alcoholics admitted of themselves is uh, also very true for us at, at the spiritual level, which is uh, 
without your support and uh, strength and life from you each day, um, without faith being renewed each day, we perish. And so I pray that you would guide each one of us, help us to have the kind of abundant life that you want us to have. And um, whatever challenges we're dealing with, whatever areas that we have um, where our health can be improved or we're needing help, I pray that you be with each one of us in a special way and um, help us to take the steps we need in those areas. And um, may all of this prepare us to be able to, to better enjoy you and uh, rejoice in the life you've given us and be of use to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.